Good evening, everyone. I'm Candice, and I'm going to bring you the Bible reading for this evening, 17 to 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God. Thank you, Candice, for the reading of God's Word. Good, good evening, everybody, and a very warm welcome again. And if you are new to our church, a very special warm welcome. And I hope that you'll join us again in future. We've been working our way through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians for the last number of weeks. This is our last until at some point... David will come back to Ephesians chapter 5. So we're ending off this present series in Ephesians, looking at the passage that Candace read to us, verse 17 through to verse 31. And then next week, I think Black is going to be dealing with Jonah. Is that right? Yes, good, super. So for homework next week, if you can read the book of Jonah. Uh, It's not a long book, and it's a wonderful, wonderful passage and a wonderful narrative. So you read the book of Jonah for next Sunday evening. This evening, Ephesians 4 from verse 17 to 32. Let me pray as we come to God's work. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather here this evening. Thank you that as we sing, we are reminded of your goodness, of your greatness, of your grace. Father, for some of us who have been walking in the shadows, we need to be convicted again. We need to be drawn back to you. For some of us who have been walking in the darkness, we pray that your word and your spirit may convict us and call us to repentance and faith. 
And for all of us, Lord, we pray that your word may wash over us, may refresh us, may cleanse us, that your spirit and your word may once again fill our hearts and our minds, that we may recommit ourselves to serve Christ and to live for him. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. I think the key verse in this passage must be chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So when he talks about Gentiles here, he's actually talking about non-Christians. He's talking about pagans, what all of us were before we became Christians and what some of you may still be. And he says you must no longer walk as a pagan if you're a Christian. You must no longer live as a pagan if you're a Christian. Now, there's a typical Christian life and there's a typical pagan life. Pagans don't always live like pagans. And Christians don't always live like Christians. But when you are true to form, they are fundamentally opposed to each other. They are different people, and they are different lifestyles. So the guts of this passage that we're looking at is that once you were a pagan, once I was a pagan, especially David was once a pagan, (laughs) and he lived like a pagan, I lived like a pagan, especially in my thoughts. Now you are a Christian, you're a new person, you're a new man, a new woman in Christ. You ought to live like a Christian. Because you're a fundamentally different person. If I was to come to your office or your classroom, and uh, let's take your office. Let's imagine you all got a job, you're all working, you're working in a company, and um, I, as your pastor, came to visit you, and I went to the receptionist. I uh, introduced myself. I'm Pastor Martin, and uh, I've come to see... um, I've come to see Fred, uh, who's, uh, who's uh, part of our church. I'm his pastor. Will the receptionist be shocked <laughs> to know that Fred goes to church? Is she going to be, my goodness me, does Fred go to church? Fred, I'm just joking, my brother. Is that you? Will those around you be shocked to know that you're a Christian? Or is it just something on your profile? You've got a verse. But will they actually be shocked that you come to church? Will they be shocked that you call yourself a Christian? Will they think to themselves, my goodness me, their behavior doesn't seem to be Christian? I mean, that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying, if you are a Gentile, if you're a pagan, if you're a non-Christian, you will have a certain behavior. But if you're a Christian, you will have a different behavior. Why? Because you're a different person. There should be a Christian lifestyle, a Christian behavior, a holy lifestyle. All right, so that's what this passage is all about. It's about the lifestyle, the behavior of a Christian. So if you call yourself a Christian and this isn't true of you, you're probably not a Christian. So it's a good way to examine yourself. Is this behavior true of me? If it's not true of me, well, perhaps I think I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Christian. It's a way to test yourself, that you're not deceiving yourself. 
So, last week, let me recap. David looked at chapter 1. The last two weeks, David looked at chapter 1, verse 1 to 16. And there Paul was calling God's people to be one people, to a unity. And we saw that in verse 3 eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And that was the, that was the mark of a Christian, that there's a unity amongst Christians. The passage today, as I've mentioned, Paul is calling us to be not a united people, but a holy people. And you see that in verse, you see that in verse 24, where Paul says, put on the new self created after the likeness of Christ in true righteousness and holiness. So, what we're going to do is we're going to contrast. What Paul does here is he does two main things, but we're really only going to look at the one. He contrasts the pagan lifestyle to a Christian lifestyle. And he does that in verse 17 to 24, and then verse 25 to the end, and we won't really get to that because of time. He fleshes out what a Christian lifestyle looks out. He gives some of the details. But in the first section, verse 17 to 24, he talks about the contrast between a pagan life and a Christian life. Now, let me just go down one side road. And this side road is very important because there are many Christians at churches who will teach this passage and say, if you live by verse 17 to 32, you will be a Christian. If you obey these commandments, well, then you will be a child of God. You need to know that is not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that. Paul is saying you're a child of God because God has saved you. This is the result of God saving you. So let me try and draw it here. Let me first, let's just first have a look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, then I'll draw it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is how you become a Christian. He says in Ephesians 2, that whole section from verse 1 to 10, and in 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Not a result of works, especially religious works, so that no one, can, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So notice, verse 1, by nature, from birth, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we used to walk. We used to follow the world, the flesh, the devil. That is how we are from birth. But God, verse 4, God intervened. He sent his son to die on the cross to rescue us. He died in our place on our behalf. We receive this gift of salvation as a gift, not by work, so that no one can boast. You can't say to God, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing the 80% of the work, and I did the other 20%. No, you can't say that. Verse 8 and 9 says, no, it's not by works, so that no one can boast. Your salvation is a gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. Faith is your response, my response, to what God has done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for someone like me. That's faith. It's not me doing anything. It's not me paying my tithe, saying my prayers, fasting. No, it's me realizing I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. Christ has come to rescue sinners like me. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you so much. Yo, thank you so much for saving me. That's faith. What he did for me on the cross. So that's how we become Christians. We don't become Christians by obeying chapter 4, 17 to 32. That is the consequence. That is the fruit of being a Christian. Okay, salvation. Yes, salvation. Most churches in our country, sadly, some perhaps unintended, say, if you do good works, you will be saved. Obey the Ten Commandments. Live by Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Don't lose your temper. Be kind to people. Forgive people. If you do that, if you do those good works listed there in verse 25 to to 32, if you do those things, you will be saved. If you do them enough, if you are sincere enough, if you have enough faith, if you have enough prayer, if you give enough tithes, then you do those good works and you will be saved. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, God saves us by grace, not by works. God is the one who saves us. We are God's workmanship. We are not the... So it's not our works, it's God's work. It's what he's done on the cross for us. He has saved us by grace. We are saved by God as a consequence we do good works. So that is a huge difference where you put the arrow. If you put the arrow in the wrong place, you are missing it. You are saying, if I am good enough, if I do my good works, then I will be saved. No, that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you are saved by God. It's the work of God on the cross through Christ, his son, It's the substitutionary death of Christ in my place. Barabbas should have been there. You and I should have been there, but Jesus took our place. That's what God did. And he offers us forgiveness, new life in Christ as a gift. It's free. As a result of the salvation, you want to serve God. You want to love him. You want to obey him. You don't obey the Ten Commandments in order that you may be saved. No, you are saved, and consequently, you want to obey God. It's the longing of your heart. And when you fail, you feel terrible. That's the sign of a Christian. It's not the sign of a non-Christian or a pagan. When a pagan sins or breaks the Ten Commandments, well, they just hope no one finds out. That's the only thing they're worried about. When you and I break it, as Christians, we feel terrible because our behavior isn't matching who we are. So we are saved by grace through the work of God on the cross in his son, Jesus Christ. We accept that gift by faith, by looking at Jesus. That's all we do. And he saved us. And it's a gift. All right? So important that we understand that as a side road. All right, let's have a look at the contrast between the pagan life and the Christian life. Let's pick it up from verse 17. Now, you will notice, uh, you probably noticed from Candace's reading, there is a great emphasis on the mind, on your thinking. Uh, what you think is what you become. Ideas have consequences. Where does it come from? It comes from Paul. Paul is telling us, you will know that you're a pagan or a Christian by your mind. 
Of course it affects your heart, and we'll talk about that. But it's your mind, your thinking. So notice, let's have a look at the pagan life first, before we have a look at the Christian life. Paul describes the pagan life in three terms. It's a kind of a progression. He talks about empty minds, then he talks about hardened hearts, then he talks about reckless lives. That's the life of a pagan, and that's where you and I were, in one form or the other. Or that's perhaps where you are now. So have a careful look. There's a progression. There's a slippery slope. First of all, empty minds. Verse 17 and 18. Notice again the emphasis on your mind, your thinking. Notice how prominent that is. Verse 17. Chapter 4, I'm in chapter 2. Chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened where? In their understanding. They are alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. When Paul talks there about a pagan and the futility of their minds, the word futile there has to do with emptiness, with vanity, with pointlessness. And he's saying when you live life without God, when you live life without an eternal perspective, ultimately, it's pointless. What's the point? It's meaningless. Perhaps you've been at social occasions, perhaps a party, a lot of non-Christians, a lot of drinking, a lot of rude jokes. You women will know how the men can sometimes misbehave. And you go away and you think, what was the point of that? What a pointless evening. It's futile. It's empty. Think of, think of social media. Social media isn't necessarily pagan, but a lot of it is, I think. <laughs> it's futile, isn't it, right? You can, you can spend an hour, two hours, scrolling. You can spend an hour, two hours going down a rabbit hole. So you read an article and then it something else, and you read that, and then something else. I mean, that's how it works. That's how it's made, to suck you in. And after two hours, there's, a, there's emptiness. There's a nothingness. I've wasted two hours of my life. I know Black has gone on a social media fast. You know that? Since 2020, two and a half years. I think, that's a, I think that is a wise move because it's empty and it can be godless and it can lead you into temptation and into evil and into sin. I think some of us at least need a social media diet. How's that? <laughs> so perhaps not a fast, perhaps just a diet. So you say to yourself, I'm going to do it 45 minutes a day, finished. Yes? No? Weekends, I'm going to take off. Nothing on weekends. So, so my, my um, I like watching news. Um, I don't know why, because it's all bad. So, so, so when I bought the Sunday Times this morning, I said to the lady who I see every week, I said, I don't know why I buy the Sunday Times. It's always bad news, and I'm giving you good money for bad news. Um, 
you can go down a rabbit hole with news stories. It's empty. It's vanity. It's pointless. Ultimately, and I'm not saying social media is pagan, I'm just saying ultimately, when you're a non-Christian, there's no point, there's no purpose. It's meaningless. It doesn't stop there with futile minds. No, he carries on. He says not only were your minds futile, but they were darkened. You have darkened minds. Now, don't think we are born innocent. We are not born innocent. We are born with darkened minds. We are born with the inclination to sin and to do evil and to be selfish and to be self-centered. That is, not, that is not the influence of a morally polluted society. That's what our liberal universities will tell us. We are born with a clean slate. And your morally polluted society has, has affected you. You know the Bible says we are born in sin. It speaks about original sin. We are born with a disposition to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be godless, to be our own gods. Some of you may be parents. Some of you are parents here. You've probably heard me before. You don't need to teach a baby how to be naughty. Do you? No. From six months, a baby can give a temper tantrum. Have you seen them at spa or pick and pay? Down that queue? What is that? That is a darkened mind. My will. I want my will. I don't care about you. I don't care about the fact that you haven't slept for eight, nine nights. I want my will. A two-year-old is selfishness incarnated. I have two daughters, they in their 20s, and when they were born, they were adorable, they were lovable, but they were not innocent because they had their mother's DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) No, 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 guys, we are born like that. That is the pagan mind. It is futile, it is darkened. Second thing, he talks about hardened hearts, verse 18. He's describing, he's contrasting the Christian life to a pagan life. And he says about the pagan life, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So he's not talking about darkened minds now. He's extending that and talking about your heart, your emotions, your will. The word hardness here, it's quite an interesting word in the Greek. The Greek word is porosis, which was used for a stone that is harder than marble. If you drop a cup on marble, that's the cup is history. We know that. A stone at Greek times harder than marble was called porosis. The word was used in medicine when you broke a bone and the bone was healed, and often that healed portion was harder than the original bone. Candace will agree with me. She comes from a medical background. It means a loss of sensitivity. It means a loss of feeling, of sensation. Something is so hard, it's so deadened, that it doesn't feel anything anymore. If you look at your grandmother's feet... There are calluses there. Your grandmother, or someone of my age, can walk on thorns, and we don't feel it. Because your feet has got calluses. It's hard. It doesn't feel anything. Paul is saying that's a pagan life. It's 
insensitive to sin. It doesn't feel it anymore. You step on people, you use people, you lie, you cheat, you feel nothing. That's a hardened heart, like calluses on your grandmother's feet. Sin is like that. That's the problem with sin. The first time you feel bad, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed. By the third or fourth time, you have a twinge of guilt. By the twentieth of time, you do, you feel nothing. You feel nothing. That's the power of sin. It sucks you in. Almost like social media, that rabbit hole. It's almost addictive. So, I love Cadbury's uh, mint uh, chocolate. Um, The uh, Cadbury's uh, top deck mint. Now, I've said to myself, I'm not going to eat it tonight because I had too much supper, but it's there. And then I say, well, let me, I'll just have one piece. And so I (laughs) open it and I take the one piece. Yeah. Yeah, just one more piece. By the time I've eaten half the slab, I feel nothing. <laughs> Have you ever just eaten one peanut? No. no. That's the nature of sin. It sucks you in. Your heart progressively hardens. You see, you cannot sin lightly. It's a slippery slope. Every sin has a hardening effect on your soul, on your mind, on your conscience. Before long, and you know people like this. They use people, they step on people. Think of people in your family, in your office. They care nothing. It didn't start like that. You don't automatically become evil. It's a progression. That's what he's talking about. Their hearts are hardened. You see, you play with sin at your peril. Maybe gossiping, it may be backbiting, it may be jealousy, maybe your anger, your temper, it may be your 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 uh, self-centeredness. You play with it at your peril. It's never a once-off event. You don't eat one peanut, ever. Perhaps you are long, perhaps you're a long way down that slippery slope. Perhaps you're only a short way down. Paul says you need to repent if you're a Christian. It can happen to Christians. We can go down slippery slopes. He calls us to repent. To remember who we are. We've been rescued. We've been saved. We're children of God. Thirdly, notice reckless lives. So there's empty minds. There's hardened hearts. Thirdly, there are reckless lives. Verse 19. So it's a kind of a slippery slope. It, it just gets worse. They have become callous And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So there's a darkness of mind, there's a hardness of heart, and that finally leads to a reckless 
life. They have given themselves over to sensuality. Most people still have the decency to want to hide their sins, but not this person. They don't mind if their sin becomes public. They no longer care what people think. They insult all decency as long as they can gratify their lust and their desire. You see the slippery slope? Start small. It's a bit like a frog. You know the story of a frog in a saucepan that's slowly heated. And a frog doesn't have a built-in thermometer as human beings do. That's, that's the problem. So it doesn't recognize that this water is getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And then suddenly it starts boiling and the frog is history. That's the nature of sin. Slowly, slowly, slowly. I think it was John Steinway, Steinbeck who used that phrase. Slowly, 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 and then suddenly. Reckless lives. I remember when I was a student 100 years ago at UCT. <laughs> and I was a Christian, and they were first-year students. I mean, they would just party. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. And some Saturday nights... They were lying outside. There was a kind of a built-up little hill, a grass. There were guys lying there. They were almost choking in their vomit. It was, I mean, it was just gross. Where, where they just let themselves go. First-year students. Yo. Sometimes we had to carry them in at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night. They may freeze at night or they may drown in their vomit. That's what we're talking about. All right, the Christian life, quickly. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn to Christ. Now notice again, he starts with a mind, and actually he uses five expressions that reminds us of a schoolroom. He says, verse 20, you learned Christ. Verse 21, you have heard about him, assuming that you have heard about him. Assuming that you were taught in him, number three. Taught as the truth, number four, in Jesus. Number five, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So often Christian conversion is talked about in terms of some emotional experience. And sometimes it can be like that. But normally it's not like that. Normally you do become a Christian at a moment, but there's a process where you've learned Christ, you've heard about Christ, you've been taught in Christ, and now you know Christ. You see how important the mind is. You see, it's no accident that here at Christ in Midran, the main focus when we gather is not visions and experiences and testimonies and all kinds of stories about all kinds of things, your emotions, your feelings. No, the focus of what we do is to hear the word of God. Because it's through hearing the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that we become new in Christ. That's the key. So you come to a Sunday service, you go to a life group, you go to tribe, you go to teens, you go to Sunday school, you go to any meeting we have in this church, pretty much any meeting. What do we do? We focus on God's word because we need to be taught. Our minds need to be changed. Our thinking needs to be changed. Our worldview needs to be uh, to be changed, which in turn will change our hearts and our wills and our behavior. 
Perhaps you think to yourself, why am I not growing as a Christian? Why am I not making progress? Why am I still just struggling with the same sins and the same issues that I did five years ago? Well, one of the key reasons is that you're not getting enough food. That's why you're not growing. So a child who doesn't get food gets thin. Well, a spiritual child of God who doesn't eat food gets thin. The reason you are not growing is because you only come to church once a month, twice a month. Because you're not reading your Bible every day. Because you're not reading Christian books and feeding your mind. That's why you're not growing. So there's not some complicated reason. No, it's a simple reason. You're not getting enough food. That's why you're not growing. That's why you're skinny. The Word of God changes your mind, changes your worldview, changes your values, changes your will, changes your behavior. That's what it does. That's the mark of a Christian, someone who's learning, someone who is seated at the Word of God. The motto of our church, our denomination, is your word above all things. God, the Spirit, takes God, the Word, the Word of God, and changes us, turns us into Christians, and then grows us as Christians. What does a Christian life look like? And let me end. Our time is gone. There's a contrast between the Christian life and the pagan life. We don't get it right all the time. We don't get it perfectly right. We stumble and fall. But nonetheless, there's a clear distinction between the two. There are two different motors, engines, that govern a pagan life and a Christian life. And the question is, which governs your life? Lastly, will you notice, what does a Christian life look like? What are some of the practical, concrete, down-to-earth signs? And I'm going to just mention them. Verse 25, not lies, but truth. Verse 26, not wrong anger, but righteous anger. Verse 28, not steal, but work and share. Verse 29 and 30, not evil, but good comes from your mouth. Verse 31, not bitter and angry, but kind and loving. All right, let's stop there. All right, let me pray, and then, David, you can do the end. Father, thank you that you've come to save us, and you've come to rescue us. And, Lord, we were all pagans, every single one of us, in the different forms. And you, in your grace, invaded our lives and placed your Holy Spirit within us. We thank you so much for that. Forgive us, Lord, when we have sometimes lived like pagans, even though we're not pagans. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us. Wash us. Help us to, to feed on your word day by day, week by week, so that it may change us, that our behavior, our lifestyle may be godly, that others over time may be attracted to our Savior and our God. So, Lord, help us this week to live for you in all that we do for Christ's sake. Amen.